This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello and welcome to season two of the Road End podcast. Each episode, we will speak to a new guest, get to know them and hear their stories about Liverpool Football Club. Hi everyone and welcome to Season 2 of the Road End Podcast. Today I am joined by former Liverpool first team physio Dave Galley. Dave worked at the club during the brilliant Gerard Hulia era and also the European Cup winning side in Istanbul under Rafa Benitez. Nice to see you Dave, how are you? I'm fine Dominic, thanks, how are you? Yeah, good, good, thanks for coming on. Good, no it's a pleasure, my pleasure, totally. So are you a Liverpool fan? Yeah, from about... 18 months old, probably. My my home team is Port Vale, and that's uh, that's me. Sort of still my hometown team, but my dad was always a, a Liverpool fan, and I had no choice. Basically, I was thrust into it as a youngster. What's your earliest memory as a Liverpool fan? To be honest, there's there's so so many. I, I, I think Ron Yates was one of my first memories, and I don't know why, and I can't remember anything exactly. I just remember seeing this immense figure of a man playing football and then obviously when I started there Rob was still there and it was unbelievable to meet him and I actually took my dad and my dad met him as well and it he was almost in tears and it was it's just a, a lovely memory lovely memory so let's let's start with how you became a physio then um because I'll be honest I'm not too sure how you came into this industry so where did that come about? What stage of your life did you decide that's what you wanted to do? When I was forced into it, basically. <laughs> All I ever wanted to do was play football. That was that was my life. And I think if you ask probably 99.9% of physios that are my age now, they'll probably all say the same thing. They're just players, wanted to play football. That's all they ever wanted to do. Hated school, hated college. Got injured when I was sort of 17. And uh, that was the end of my playing career. I can remember lying in the, the hospital bed in Stoke um, and the, the consultant coming along and the notes were over the end of the bed on the old-fashioned written notes. And he stood at the end of the bed, just looked at the notes, looked at me and said, oh, football, eh? Yeah, you'll never play again. And just walked off. Honestly, if I could have got out of the bed, I would have killed him. Luckily, I couldn't get out of the bed. What uh, was the injury? It was my knee, did my left knee. I just twisted, jumped about five inches high, flicked the ball on. And as I came down, it was just like a bag of spanners just giving way. And I, I found out subsequently, I didn't know at the time, but I torn my ACL, torn my lateral uh, medial ligament, torn the meniscus and took a big chunk off the femoral condyle, which is not a, not a nice thing in those days. They, they didn't operate then either, so... They, they operated to reduce the swelling and, and tidy things up, but they didn't repair anything. So uh, football was done then. Uh, and I just spent so long in physio that, uh, the, you know, the, the physio at the time, was Chris Davison was the, the fella. Um, he said, you know, why don't you, why don't you do physio? Stay in football that way and, you know, learn earn a living while you're still in the game. Yeah, okay. <laughs> 
and I, I was lucky that I stayed on at sixth form, got my A level, so I got the qualifications, um, and applied to what the time it was remedial gymnastics, and there was only two colleges, Cardiff and Penderfields in Wakefield. Uh, I was lucky enough to get into both, which was again very very lucky. Um, but went to the interview at both of them, and Cardiff was just such a a great city, good nightlife, young ladies everywhere. Don't tell the wife. I, I would I would never have qualified. Went to Wakefield, and it was a an ex military bland that was the uh, the principal, very strict, very regimented, and I thought that's that's what I need. Mm. And uh, never looked back. Absolutely loved my college there, loved it to bits. And uh, went back into football from there. Started off at Port Vale and qualified from Pinderfields. Went to work at a hospital called the Haywood, which is next door, basically, to, to Port Vale's ground. And three weeks into my job there, the old physio at Port Vale, Lol Hamlet, dropped down dead with a heart attack, bless him. Lovely old boy. Um, John Rudge had just taken over from John McGrath, uh, and he rang me up. He said, would you come back and be sort of physio on a part-time basis. Um, and I spoke to the hospital. They said, yeah, no problem. So I went to Port Vale first thing in the morning, started work at the hospital, 8.30, worked through the morning, had an, an hour where the hospital gave me all the facilities to treat the players, which was great in the hospital. Um, went to the club at lunchtime, did an hour there, came back, worked the hospital in the afternoon and then back to the club again in the evening. So it was, it was long, hard days, but absolutely loved it, loved it. And then from there, went to Fulham, yeah, 1984, I think it was, 83, 84. It was a long time ago now. But a really good friend of mine, Derek Wright, who I've stayed in touch with ever since, and he went to Newcastle and has only just retired now. So he's been there 38 years, bless him. So how did the move to Liverpool come about? I was at Sheffield Wednesday at the time. I'd done England under-18s, then under-21s. I was still doing that. Uh, Mark Leather, who was my predecessor, that mm. should have played golf with this morning, but he says he's got a bad back. I don't think he has, really. <laughs> um, uh, and they were having a bit of trouble with with the Michael Owen situation. Gerard Houllier had just come in as manager, and I think he just wanted to make that change. You know, he'd just gone on his own from being a partner with Roy Evans. Um, and I just got a phone call out of the blue. Would I like to come over and, and have a look? I was working with Mark Waller with the under-21s, the doctor, uh, and went over, had a chat to them. Yep, yeah, right, when can you start? And very, very fortunate and unbelievable for myself, really, to, to actually go to Liverpool. But the one thing a lot of people told me before I went, and it's very, very true, you can't work at a club where you're a supporter. You've got to step back from being a supporter. Um, you know, you, that's your workplace. You've got to spend all your time, all your efforts on helping the club, working with the club. You're still following them, obviously, massively. But I, I don't think you can be a true supporter. It's great now, since I've left, I can, I can be a proper fan again now and have opinions on things. You can speak to people about things that you, you've got nothing to do with. Um, but to work there, unbelievable. Unbelievable. What was it like to work under Gerard Houllier? Um, I've spoke to a few of the ex-players before and a couple of ex-journalists and just general people, really, and they, they just idolised him. They loved him. They never had a bad word to say about him. I don't think you could have a bad word against him. 
he, he came in at a, a, a difficult time, I think. Um, I think the English game was changing in general. And, and Joe had tried to change things. And whether you, you say he tried to change things too quickly, I don't know. That could be an argument. But things needed to change. Uh, and he was trying to bring in that European influence. You, know, you got Arsene Wenger down at Arsenal, who was a, a big friend of Gerard's. Um, and they both had similar ideas, similar philosophies. I know one of the, the first days when I was at Liverpool, I won't mention the names, but two senior professionals, both England internationals and figures through the roof, running out to training at 25 past 10 with a bacon sandwich still in the hand. And you're like, oh, I'm not so sure this is right. And those sort of things that had obviously it was ingrained in the club um, was lovely, but they, they've got to change. Uh, and I think he was the one that, that saw that change. So for me, so easy to work for because you, you could have a conversation with him. He wanted to know exactly what was going on, what you were doing things for, why you were doing them, who you were using. Uh, his knowledge was unbelievable um, and, and just very easy to work for. As long as you could justify what you were doing, why you were doing it, he'd let you get on with it. And that was that was half the battle. And then obviously with his uh, with his complaint and the, the Leeds game, that was that was awful. And he probably was slightly different after that when he came back. I think that did affect him mentally as much as physically. But uh, lovely man, not not a word against him. What was it like to be part of such a successful period at the club then during Gerard's tenure? Because obviously you've said before you was a fan, so it must have been difficult when they had the celebrations. It was. But you, you, you've got to make that step straight away. And you're a member of staff for that club. You're representing the football club. Uh, and you've got to do that on a professional basis for 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Um, the, the celebrations and everything, unbelievable. I've still got photographs. I've got my memorabilia. Um, and no one could ever take them away from you. It's It's just very, very special. But you, you can't overstep the mark. You, you've got to be professional about your job. And part of that is is your job. Did you finish your time at the club after Istanbul? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So, obviously, that's that's different. So, we're going from Julio, who I've heard is very approachable. Yeah. Nice nice to have a conversation with. Tells you how it is. Tells you how yeah. it is, sorry. To Rafa. Now, yeah. the amount of people who have said it's chalk and cheese, is that true? <laughs> Yeah, they're, they're very, very different people. Very different people. But I, I still speak to Rafa now. I, I got on with him really, really well. Um, lovely man, very approachable. His knowledge was probably even more than, than Gerard's, which I find incredible. But the, the strange thing with that, he soon realised that if he didn't, and this is only my opinion and my, my view on it, if he didn't know anything or he wasn't sure about anything in football or anyone from around the world, not just in English football, he would go to Cara and ask him and Cara would just give him the answer straight away. Wow. Cara's knowledge is, is above anybody's I've ever known. He's, uh, he's still showing it now on Sky Sports, obviously. But no, I, I really like Rafa. Really, really like the man. My, and I'm, I'm going to get a bit personal now, but my my biggest problem was his assistant, Paco Estran. I... That's why I left in the end. I couldn't, I would say I couldn't get on with him, but he was very dogmatic. Is this is your job? This is where you stay in the treatment room. You don't go in the gym. You don't go on the field. You don't do the rehab. 
Um, and I, I just couldn't personally, I couldn't deal with it. Uh, and it got to the stage where they say, don't take your, your home life into work. It was the other way around for me. I was taking my work home uh, and it was taken out on my family, which we just said before, they come first before everything. Yeah. I'm very, very lucky. I've still got the same wife that I had 37 years ago. So, so yeah. why was Paco's approach like that? I have no idea, to be honest. He he, he came over as uh, a fitness coach with with Rafa. Rafa's original assistant couldn't come for family reasons, uh, and he made him up to assistant manager. Uh, and again, it's only my opinion. I'm, I'm probably get shot down through the trees with this one, but I don't think he was an assistant manager. Um, and I think the power probably got to his head a little bit. Very nice man, very, very good fitness coach, very good. Um, but I think that the power probably got to his head. And that is, again, it's only my opinion, um, and it's how it affected me. Uh, I, I, I didn't ever want to leave Liverpool. That was my job for life. But it got to the point where I knew he was Rafa's man, and I had an open conversation with Rafa, with Rick Parry, with the doc, David Moores at the time, um, and no, he's not going to change. He's not going to change the way he is. I can't change how I am. The best thing for, for myself and for the football club is that I step aside. I didn't want to do it, but you've got to be strong enough sometimes to make big decisions, and that's that's the biggest decision I've ever made in my life, to leave. I still love the club dearly. What was their reaction when you said that to them? They were quite surprised, Um Again, this went on over a period. It wasn't just an overnight thing. Um, surprised, tried to be very, very helpful. But I think everybody realised that Paco was, was Rafa's man. That was the way the club was going to go for the next few years. Um, we, we tried before um, Rafa came in, we tried to get more staff for the medical department. There was only two of us physios and we were trying to do everything with all the travel. And it, it was impossible. Um, and then Rafa bought one of his own physios in, which helped a little bit then. So you could see it was going in the right direction. But the way, personally, my work was being channeled wasn't what I was used to and how I worked. I liked to be in the treatment room, in the gym, on the field with the lads, doing the rehab with them and, and seeing them through. And that, that wasn't being the case. He was stuck in the treatment room and that was, that was it. Just, diff just a difficult time. And it wasn't right for the club, wasn't right for me. So, Okay, so talk to me about the celebrations after Istanbul, because obviously, oh. you, you, I mean, not only the parade, but yeah. the night after the game. Well, when I say the night, it was probably nearly morning, but well, early hours when I finished. So talk to me about that night. It was later than early hours. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we finished the game. I, think we, I don't think we got back to the hotel till really late, because it was a, a late kickoff with being um, a couple of hours ahead. And I can remember it being sort of one o'clock uh, and we were back in the hotel. It was just like a, a lovely buffet, a few drinks. For us, we, we weren't doing that much because we were still recovering the players. I know it was summer after that game, but we'd still got a couple of injuries we'd got to sort out. Um, went down, we had a few drinks. All the families were there. It was just a lovely, lovely occasion. The players, I'm sure, were doing something completely different. I'm quite happy they deserved everything they, they got completely. Um, and then I remember getting up at five. Uh, I think I've probably only been in bed for an hour and a half, something like that. Got up at five to get everything packed. We got a seven o'clock, I think it was, flight from Istanbul back to Liverpool. Um, half the squad were left there. We could only get half back. So the lads that 
weren't in the first team squad stayed in Istanbul, which that was awful for them because they missed the open top bus as well. And got back, and I remember ringing Sue, my wife, uh, and Rafa said, "Get your families down to the training ground. They can come on the open top bus with us. There's plenty of space." So I rang Sue. I didn't think for a second anything would happen, um, and she said, "Yeah, yeah, we we can get there." So okay, good luck. I'll see you there. Never thought anything of it. Get to the training ground. There's there's just thousands of people everywhere, um, but she managed to get through with my daughter. And they both got on the open top bus with us. And memory, my daughter will not miss a Liverpool match, friendly, anything. She's she's married to a Kiwi who doesn't really understand football. <laughs> He's got no choice. Golf on one channel and, and any football, but Liverpool especially, she's crazy about. Uh, so we, we did the open top bus. The, the celebrations there around the city were just incredible. Obviously, the majority was red, but the amount of blue and white that was out as well, it was just, it was a city day. You know, it was, yeah. it was Everton as well as Liverpool, mostly Liverpool, obviously. What would you say has been your, your highlight of your career? That night, without a doubt, without a doubt. That night and representing England at any level. So I've done under-18s, under under-20s, won the World Cup with the under-20s, uh, under-21s for 16 years with a lot of different managers, a lot of good players that have come through the ranks. Um I've just been very, very fortunate, very fortunate, and loved every minute. But to, to stand there for the first time representing your country, you've got the three lions on is special. But I know I'm going to be biased now, but to stand there with the Liverpool crest on you, oh, that's the hairs have come up on my arms again now. Special. Would you definitely say club over country? Yes. Yeah. I'd probably get killed for that by some people. <laughs> <laughs> it's, okay. it's the truth. So talk to me about Liverpool this season then because we can't seem to sustain the strongest 11 with players yeah. in terms of whether that's injuries or whether it's a drop-off just because of the intensity. As a physio and working on the fitness side of the game, what can you put it down to? <laughs> that's a million we need dollars. answers. <laughs> I know. No, I, I don't think you can put it down to one thing at all. You've got obviously got Van Dijk, that, that horrendous injury. With his uh, with his ACL, the majority of papers that you read and studies show that two years after that, you're probably never going to be the same player that you were before. And I, I do think he's probably struggling a little bit with that. I know he's a fit, strong lad, does everything. The, the medical staff at Liverpool at the moment are unbelievable. I, I speak to them all fairly regularly. Great lads do a, a fantastic job. The way that Jurgen Klopp, I think, trains. When he first came in, remember, he had a lot of hamstring injuries, especially mm. because the intensity of the, the, the pressing, the high press and everything was was so high. Um, I think you can only carry that out for a couple of years before you start changing personnel. And I think we've probably just got to the stage this season. And again, it's only my humble opinion, very, very humble, but I think we've probably got to the stage where you need to change the personnel if you're going to carry on playing that game. You can't train like that every day and play at that level of intensity all the time. And I think it, it just fades off a little bit. Um, I hate to say this, but I think Alex Ferguson was probably the best at that over his time. You know, it didn't matter who you were, how big you were. If it was right for the club and the time was right, you're out. Yeah. And I think that's, that's probably where we are at the minute. And I, I, I really hope he gets the time to, to change things around and, and 
change the squad a little bit. Do you, when you look at that, do you, do you look at the lack of investment and think of it as in we are where we are now because of this? Because if you look over the last few windows as a club, as you say, we should have been probably replacing people over time rather than, oh no, it's the summer, we need to get all of them out and all of them in. It just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. So many things in football don't make sense. In any other industry, it would never happen. But for some reason in football, it does. And again, I know somebody, I can't remember who it was, but somebody in quite a high position told me earlier this season the amount of, of foreign investment in football that don't understand the English Premier League. Now, whether that has anything to do with it, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't really go too deeply into the politics. Um, and I certainly don't want to get involved in the politics of football because that's that's a minefield on its own. So that you mentioned briefly, Virgil. I was going to ask you about that. So he's, he's had a, obviously a serious, serious injury, um, one which nothing happened about, which is still baffling. But explain to the listeners how bad is this injury and how many players do come back from an injury like this to the top of the game again? From from the papers I've read and the people I speak to and conferences and things, I'm not so sure that, and this is a, a, a brutal opinion, I'm not so sure that anyone really comes back to the same level when they're playing at the level that he's at now. There's one exception that's probably close to it, and that's Ibrahimovic. Now, he's he's spent years doing his martial arts and everything, so he's got the flexibility, the strength, the posture, everything. Whether that's helped him, I, I don't know. Virgil, I, I don't know him at all, so it's not fair to, to comment on what sort of person he is or anything, but I'm sure he's done everything that he possibly can. It's just the, the seriousness of the injury. The, the repair is very, very good now. They used to say six months on your back. That, for me, is is wrong, basically. You've, you've got to be eight, nine months at least to get good stability and good strength in the, the joint and the, the mobility around the whole area. Um, but then to come back and play, the other thing that has an effect on are the pitches nowadays. The pitches are so good to, to look good for TV, but you play on them and, and they're very, very hard. So the, the give that used to be in the pitch when it used to be the, the muddy grass, that the, the pitch would give when your foot hit the ground. That's where the force goes. Now the force comes back up through your body. So you're taking all the more forces through your ankles, your knees, your hips, your low back, everything on every step that you take. So it's 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 a combination of a lot of things. It really is. But it's, it's interesting it's, you should say that. I've, I've, I've never looked at it that way. So obviously you see the pictures and you see the designs and how good the grounds are. But yeah. when you do think about that, it's the same on like the likes of 4G pitches or 3G pitches as well, the different type of injuries. But yeah, yeah that's that's interesting that. Yeah. Well, I was at Luton Town when they had the plastic pitch there in the late 80s. And that was horrendous. You know, we, we used to train on it from went from nine till twelve to train on it, and then from from one o'clock till ten o'clock at night every day. It was used by the general public to to make income for the club. So you can imagine what the, I've actually still got a little bit of the pitch somewhere, and it was it was like half an inch pile nylon grass on top of tarmac with sand inside it. Wow! It was it's like playing in a car park, and you're playing a, a professional. It was the old first division then, but uh, yeah, horrendous. I think the other thing with injuries as well is when you, you when you train on different surfaces, that's that's not good. That's why a lot of the majority of training grounds now 
the main first team training pitch will be exactly the same surface, size, texture, composition as the uh, the first team pitch at the stadium. So before we move on to the, the quick fire round at the end, I read a, um, let's say, an interesting article where Manchester United banned you from England, you see. Is this true? <laughs> yeah, very true. I've still got the letter. Yeah, I was, uh, I was fortunate again to be invited to go with the, the full squad with England to help out with Gary Lewin. Uh, and I know he'd had a few years of hassle when he was Arsenal in England. Um, and he'd gone full-time now with England, asked me to, to go with him and be the sort of number two physio with the full squad. Um, but the only problem with that is I couldn't be involved with first-team football. So I, I thought about it long and hard, said, yeah, OK, that's that's good. Again, luckily enough, Rafa at the time had asked me to go back to Liverpool to head up the academy. Um, they wanted to, to shake up the academy and change all that. It was 2013, something like that. can't remember that, 2010. So I, I went back to, to head up the academy, got all that set up, um, went with the first team to Holland. It was the first away game. And second day there, <laughs> it was um, Capello's assistant came to me. He said, Dave, said, we, we've got a small problem. We, we need to sort it out. He said, uh, Mr. Ferguson at United isn't too happy with any Liverpool staff being here, but don't worry about it. We'll we'll get it sorted. So okay, no problem. The next day, Lord Treesman pulled me. Said, Dave, can we uh, can we have a word? Said, yeah. Said, um, it's not quite how we thought it was going to be. If you don't mind, you're going to have to step back to the under 21s. Mr. Ferguson's not happy with any Liverpool staff treating the players. That's how football was. To be fair, I, I probably agree with them. I don't think. There should have been club staff working with the international team as well. But they've, they've got to employ the right staff with the international teams to, to be able to look after the players in the way that they used to be looked after. Uh, and I think they went through a small period where they weren't. I think there was a lot of um, EIS staff and, and staff from outside looking after them. But they've, they've got that sorted now and Steve Kemp and the boys are doing a, a great job there. But yeah, funny story, but... That's, that's football. We are now going to do a quick fire round with our guests. This could be very controversial. I've got a quick fire round to finish. Um, I won't keep you too much longer. So it's just a few questions, a bit of fun, nothing else. Um, I'm hopeless at these, by the way. Oh, don't worry. It's it's not until, not crazy. Uh, Favourite beer? Oh, dear me. That's a tough one. Dixton's. Either best or all peculiar, yeah. Rafa or Gerard Hulier? Oh, <laughs> that's impossible. That's a draw, that one. And if you wasn't a physio, what would you be? Unemployed. Um, <laughs> I was going to say Crouchy's one then, but I can't say that. <laughs> um, God, what would I be? I honestly do not know, because all I wanted to do was play football and then... Physio got thrust upon me. So virgin. <laughs> <laughs> me and Crouch should be sat on the bench. Um, uh, best player you've ever worked with? Oh, jeez. That's a really difficult one. There has been so, so many. Player or professional? One of each. Professional, Millie, without a doubt. Unbelievable. Even I had him at the under-21s 
and it was the same then as he is now. Not changed yeah. a little bit. Best player. Cool. See, I want to say Stevie G, but I'm trying to think of someone else. There's been so many. Yari Littman was unbelievable for his, for his age. Couldn't run a great deal, but geez, his strappings, he had two strappings on his ankles that were like plaster of Paris, and he still could thread a ball through the eye of a needle. Incredible. No, I'd have to go Stevie G. And that, that's, that's, that sounds corny, but he's unbelievable. He was on and off the pitch, by the way. No? Yeah, different class. Lovely bloke. Okay, and the last one, Reebok or Adidas kits? I'd have to go Reebok because most of my time was Reebok. And we yeah, won a lot of things wearing Reebok. I know you've won a lot of things since wearing Adidas. I prefer the Adidas kit, but as a personal note, Reebok. Apart from the green one, didn't like that one. Oh, no, it was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> right, well, that's, let's call it a pod there, Dave. Um, I'd just like to say thanks for agreeing to do this and being honest. That's the best thing about it because, you know, without you being honest, this wouldn't be yeah. much point. So I appreciate your time. And You can't upset everyone and you can't make everyone happy. I hope you're listening to that. <laughs> but, yeah, thanks thanks for your time again and um, wish you all the luck with the rest of your career and hopefully catch you Cheers. soon. Thanks a lot, mate. Appreciate it. Thanks to everyone for listening in to today's podcast and thank you to our amazing guests. Without them, this wouldn't be possible. Don't forget to follow us on social media, twitter.com forward slash the road end pod and on Instagram, Instagram slash the road end pod.